Our Bible reading today is the book of 1 Samuel, chapters 28 and 29, and it's on page 300 in your Bible, nice and easy. So starting at verse 1. In those days, the Philistines gathered their forces to fight against Israel. Achish said to David, you must understand that you and your men will accompany me in the army. David said, then you will see for yourself what your servant can do. Achish replied, very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. Now Samuel was dead. And all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in his own town of Ramah. Saul had expelled the mediums and spiritists from the land. The Philistines assembled and came and set up camp at Shunem, while Saul gathered all Israel and set up camp at Gilboa. When Saul saw the Philistine army, he was afraid. Terror filled his heart. He inquired of the Lord... But the Lord did not answer him by dreams or Urim or prophets. Saul then said to his attendants, Find me a woman who is a medium so that I may go and inquire of her. There is one in Endor, they said. So Saul disguised himself, putting on other clothes. And at night he and two men went to the woman. Consult a spirit for me, he said, and bring up for me the one I name. But the woman said to him, Surely you know what Saul has done. He has cut off the mediums and spiritists from the land. Why have you set a trap for my life to bring about my death? Saul swore to her by the Lord, As surely as the Lord lives, you will not be punished for this. Then the woman asked, Whom shall I bring up for you? Bring up Samuel, he said. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out at the top of her voice and said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, Don't be afraid. What do you see? The woman said, I see a ghostly figure coming up out of the earth. What does he look like? He asked. An old man wearing a robe is coming up, she said. Then Saul knew it was Samuel and he bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? I am in great distress, Saul said. The Philistines are fighting against me, and God has departed from me. He no longer answers me, either by prophets or by dreams. So I have called on you to tell me what to do. Samuel said, Why do you consult me? Now that the Lord has departed from you and become your enemy, the Lord has done what he predicted through me. The Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hands and given it to one of your neighbours, to David. Because you did not obey the Lord or carry out his fierce wrath against the Amalekites, the Lord has done this to you today. The Lord will deliver both Israel and you into the hands of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also give the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. Immediately, Saul fell full length on the ground, filled with fear because of Samuel's words. His strength was gone, for he had eaten nothing all that day and all that night. When the woman came to Saul and saw that he was greatly shaken, she said, Look, your servant has obeyed you, 
I took my life in my hands and did what you told me to do. Now please listen to your servant and let me give you some food so that you may eat and have the strength to go on your way. He refused and said, I will not eat. But his men joined the woman in urging him and he listened to them. He got up from the ground and sat on the couch. The woman had a fattened calf at the house, which she slaughtered at once. She took some flour, kneaded it, and baked bread without yeast. Then she set it before Saul and his men, and they ate. That same night, they got up and left. The Philistines gathered all their forces at Aphek, and Israel camped by the spring in Jezreel. As the Philistine rulers marched with their units of hundreds and thousands, David and his men were marching at the rear with Achish. The commanders of the Philistines asked, What about these Hebrews? Achish replied, Is this not David, who was an officer of Saul, king of Israel? He has already been with me for over a year, and from the day he left Saul until now, I have found no fault in him. But the Philistine commanders were angry with Achish and said, Send the man back, that he may return to the place you assigned him. He must not go with us into battle, or he will turn against us during the fighting. How better could he regain his master's favour than by taking the heads of our own men? Isn't this the David they sang about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. So Achish called David and said to him, As surely as the Lord lives, you have been reliable, and I would be pleased for you to serve with me in the army. From the day you came to me until today, I have found no fault in you, but the rulers don't approve of you. Now turn back and go in peace. Do nothing to displease the Philistine rulers. But what have I done? asked David. What have you found against your servant from the day I came to you until now? Why can't I go and fight against the enemies of my lord the king? Achish answered, I know that you have been as pleasing in my eyes as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the Philistine commanders have said, he must not go up with us into battle. Now get up early along with your master's servants who have come with you and leave in the morning as soon as it is light. So David and his men got up early in the morning to go back to the land of the Philistines and the Philistines went up to Jezreel. Please keep your Bibles open. Thank you, Debbie, very, very much for reading that part of the Bible so well. And uh, we're going to come into this evening with a question. And the question is this, what's the biggest crisis for anyone to face? What's the biggest crisis that anyone can face? This week I've spoken to uh, different people uh, struggling with different things. Uh, I spoke to someone struggling with unemployment. Spoke someone struggling with homelessness, depression. Spoke someone struggling with uh, distant relationships in his family. And as I listened and felt for each one of them, I wondered, could there be anything worse? Because each situation was desperate and each situation was painful. 
But in each situation, the people I spoke to, all of them had some glimpse of how things might improve for them. In other words, there was still hope. But tonight, we're going to look at the worst crisis, the biggest crisis anyone can face. And the Apostle Paul sums it up really well when uh, he wrote to some friends in Ephesus and described people without hope and without God in this world. That's the biggest crisis. The biggest crisis is to be without hope and without God in this world. And in 1 Samuel chapter 28, you meet such a man without God and without hope in this world. And his name is Saul. And we're going to learn two things. First, we'll stick with our theme, first point. We're going to look at the biggest crisis. Second point, we're going to look at the best God. First point then, the biggest crisis. Now actually, if you look at chapter 28, there are two crises going on uh, for Saul, but also for David. Let's start with David first. Because you remember from last week that he was very worried that Saul was going to kill him in chapter 27, verse 1, and therefore he went to live amongst the Philistines to escape from Saul. And they looked after him. But now you get to chapter 28 and you see that there is one little problem about uh, turning to the Philistines as your personal saviour. And that is that they're always fighting with Israel. So in chapter 28, verse 1, in those days the Philistines gathered their forces to fight against Israel. And Israel, in case you didn't know, were David's own people. And now he learns in verse 1 that he is to be in the front line. And he said to David, you must understand that you and your men will accompany me in the army. So the freedom he had last week in the last chapter, to live unsupervised and fight God's enemies and his enemies as much as he wanted, that freedom is about to be restricted. He's about to be told to fight his friends. And that's his crisis. How can I fight my friends? But Saul's crisis is worse. He is now facing impossible numbers of Philistines. If you look at chapter 29, verse 1, you see that the Philistines gathered all their forces at Aphek. In other words, this is an all-out assault. The war to end all wars. And the numbers, if you look at chapter 29 um, and uh, verse uh, 2, uh, you'll see the numbers are huge. The Philistines is marched with their units of hundreds and thousands. So he is now terrified. If you look at chapter 28, verse 5, it tells you how afraid he was. Saul, when he saw the Philistine army, was afraid. Terror filled his heart. Now, actually, let me into a secret. Uh, Saul's always been frightened of Philistines. But generally, he's managed to beat them because he's had David on his side. But now, what's new in this crisis for him 
is that David is with them. So now Saul has his two most feared enemies, David and the Philistines, both on the same side. So he has a problem. His crisis is how do I fight my enemies when they are so strong? He has no hope and he has no God. And the mark of someone without God is they turn to someone else to guide them in verse 7. Saul then said to his attendants, find me a woman who is a medium so that I may go and inquire of her. Now in his uh, early days he'd got rid of all the mediums and the mediums weren't really needed anymore because the wonderful thing about this God, the God of uh, uh, his people, is that he speaks really clearly. And that has always been the case right through the Bible. So one of their earlier prophets had said, uh, Isaiah chapter, uh, sorry, one of their later prophets said, Isaiah chapter 8 verse 19, uh, when someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Because God is alive and he is able to give you a living, clear word, so why go and check out anybody else? But the mark of someone without God is that they go and listen to other voices. And that is how they then uh, live out their lives. And since that is something that happens in Dagenham, we've got mediums in schools. So one works at, has, a, has a separate little church going in Joe Richardson School. And we have mediums working in GP surgeries where they have psychic fairs and consultations. Given that that is happening in Dagenham, right where we are, let me just take a little bit of time to work out what the Bible teaches about mediums and consulting them, because it's a real live issue for us. And there are three things I think I'd like to say about mediums uh, from the Bible. First, is that it is the mark of God's judgment on someone that brings on God's judgment to them when they go and consult a medium or a spiritist in that way. Again, like I said, God's word is really clear. And so let me tell you what it says about this. In Leviticus chapter 19 verse 31 it says, Do not turn to mediums or seek out spiritists, for you will be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. And again in, chapter, in Leviticus chapter 20 verse 6, I will set my face against anyone who turns to mediums and spiritists to prostitute themselves by following them. And I will cut them off from their people. So God's word is really, really clear. 
It is the mark of God's judgment that when someone does that, and it brings on God's judgment when someone does that. The second thing that uh, we need to know from this passage is that when you go and consult someone, if you were able to do that, it reveals nothing new because God has already said what he's said. And since God doesn't change, nothing that he says changes either. So you can see that that's what saw uh, Samuel, the dead person who's brought uh, to speak to Saul. That's exactly what he says in verse 17. He says, Look, I've already told you this. The Lord has done what he has predicted already through me. So you're not going to learn anything new tonight. I'll just say the same thing again, shall I? And that's what he does. And the third thing I really want to stress, perhaps the biggest point of all to make, is that this is something that is very rare. Jesus told a parable once about two men who died. Lazarus, rich man. Lazarus dies, goes to heaven. Rich man dies, goes to hell. And the rich man asked that Lazarus is sent to his brothers to warn them not to come to that same place. And he's told by Abraham that that was never going to happen because they already had God's clear word. And if they didn't believe God's clear word, they're not going to believe anyone that came back from the dead. And so in Luke chapter 16, and uh, I'll read it to you, verses uh, uh, 29 to 31, uh, Let's start verse 27. The rich man answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Now, when I say this is rare, I can be more specific than that. This happens only twice. In human history, there are only two times when someone from the dead comes back to talk. Here is one occasion in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 28. The other occasion is when uh, uh, Elijah and Moses go and talk to Jesus about his uh, uh, transfiguration, at the transfiguration. Those are the only two times when God ever allows it to happen. And in, on both those occasions, they simply say what was said before. So Moses and Elijah are there to tell Jesus that he is absolutely right to go to the cross because that's what they had predicted as well. It's uh, a moment of uh, comfort for him as the end was getting near. So, God's word is absolutely clear, and therefore I think it's just important for us to see how this affects what normally happens when people talk about consulting a medium in Dagenham or anywhere else for that matter. I was once head-to-head with a medium uh, on a radio show in Lancaster, and therefore uh, I had first-hand experience of how these things work, because 
he was kind of doing it on air and I then had to comment on it afterwards. And looking back on what goes on and what people have described to me since then, there are two things I think I want to say about people who consult mediums today and what they experience. First, there is no clear word that they get when they have that kind of consultation. The way it works is like this. Uh, the medium says, um, does the color red mean anything to you? And they get all excited and say, yes, that's the color of my friend's handbag. Ah, seriously, people get excited because they want to believe that there is some connection and the way that this medium knows that this person has got a red handbag, except they didn't say that, but it's all now in their minds that that's what they said and they must be able to say that because they're in contact with somebody who knows them, who's now dead and who can give the medium that kind of information. It's all a bit vague and then the wishful thinking comes into play and fills in all the gaps. People want to believe. But that lack of clarity that you get, it's not like this, is it? Where you get such a clear message that actually it seems that the medium herself has almost left the room. There's a straight face-to-face -face conversation with Saul and Samuel. And in verse 21, it seems that the medium then returns. Um... Um, and uh, um, it's like she's been absent and now she comes back. It's, it's that sort of clarity that they have in this conversation. The medium doesn't, it doesn't play a part. It's, it's straight conversation with the dead person. Well, compared to that, today's words are exceptionally vague and unclear. In fact, they're just like what the prophet Isaiah said. Mediums and spiritists whisper and mutter. Should not a people inquire of God? It's a vague word. Secondly, it's a word that denies judgment, whereas the real word confirms judgment. But it's hardly surprising that mediums would want to deny judgment because they want money for their consultations. If you want money for anything, you've got to keep the customer happy. And so therefore, they deny any form of judgment. You're not going to be happy if you go and pay money to hear that. So here's a quote from a medium's website. Your loved one is safe and goes straight to the next life. Your loved ones are in a beautiful world of life, light. They are safe and happy, so do not fear for them. Now that is a false word. Because likelihood, most people who go to the website are likely to be unbelievers. And they will be wanting that kind of reassurance. And for an unbeliever to be assured that there is nothing but safety on the other side of the grave is a false word from hell. It is the message of Satan from the very beginning of time that people won't be judged. He told that to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. But God's word is very clear. The judgment does come when we go into that realm. Now, if God is so clear, why is it that people go somewhere else? Well, 
You don't have to ask the question for ourselves. We don't need to go anywhere else, do we? Because the Bible invitation, if we come to God as Christians, is that we have access not to a dead person, but to the living Father by his Spirit. So in other words, Jesus opens up the possibility of living from now on where you will hear clear words from God and you can speak clear words to God. How great is that? Why would we want any other word? But if we do, the alternative will be that we will be without hope and without God in this world. Just like Saul, the man who consulted a medium and found that was entirely his experience. He was without God and he was without hope. And nothing in that experience <coughs> changed that fact. That is the, the biggest crisis, is to be without God and to be without hope. But then you discover in chapter 29 the best God. And again, let's go to those two men who have different lessons to learn in chapter 29. First, David. We'll start with him again. And what happens to David is that he is delivered from his crisis. He doesn't fight with his friends because the Philistines' commanders think that Achish is bonkers to bring David onto the battlefield to stand right next to them. Uh, they anticipate correctly that David is likely to protect his people in verse 4. If it's on their minds that David could possibly turn round and kill them instead of killing his own people, let me assure you, it probably crossed David's mind first. In fact, it probably is the reason why David gives that kind of a ambiguous answer to Akish in chapter 28 and uh, verse 4, when, um, oh, sorry, verse 2, when uh, Akish says, so you've got to come and fight with me, and David says, yeah, and when I do, you will see what I can do. Ah, you can take that two ways, can't you? Akish took it one way, I think David rather meant it the other. Akish took it as loyalty. And he said, in that case, you can be my bodyguard. Literally, the keeper of my head. Let me tell you, if I was a Philistine, I personally wouldn't want David anywhere near my head. Because he's earned his reputation with what he's done, with one Philistine head already. In fact, that is why they're singing their songs that they're singing in chapter 29, verse 5. And the other army commanders hadn't forgotten. So David is sent away. He doesn't have to fight with his friends. But that means that Saul's, uh, God's purposes for Saul will be fulfilled. He will lose to his enemies. Now I think actually David wanted to stop that. I think David wanted to save him. He pleads with Achish to be allowed his place in the battlefield in chapter 28. At 29 verse 8 he wants to be there because he knows if he's there he can save Saul but God removes David from saving Saul and so what you find is that the best God will save his own and stop his own from doing evil 
but he will honestly also punish evil. And he won't be fooled by Saul's last-ditch attempts to get on his side. Now, just as a side point on that, I think we need to be very careful about what are called deathbed conversions. I think deathbed conversions, although we kind of cling to them a little bit, I think they're usually an attempt to enter through a door that people have shut lots of times in the past and God won't open it if that is the case. He didn't with Saul, did he? And I think it's just uh, important that we say, no, we're not going to leave it to our deathbed. We've got to open that door now because he shut it now too many times and the door won't be opened. You can push all you want. Saul found that to be the case. And so the way those two chapters end, the way they end, is quite interesting, isn't it? At the end of chapter 29, you see David and his men walking off into the light. At the end of chapter 28, you see Saul and his men walking out into darkness. What have we got to learn from it ourselves? Well, it might be that you're someone who's new to Christian things, maybe you've consulted mediums, maybe you are a medium listening to this talk on our website. Please would you learn what your greatest and biggest crisis is. It is to be without hope and without God in this world. And we need to learn that this is the biggest crisis because, frankly, that may not feel to be the biggest crisis when there are other stuff going on in our lives that need our immediate attention. But if you know that this is you, and I know people are honest when they're on their own and not needing to impress anyone else, if you know that this is truly actually you, it applies to you, you are without hope and you are without God. If that is you, please listen to God's clear word, please will you start following Jesus because he is the only one who will put hope into your life and who will put God into your life. He will only speak to you clear words and therefore it is important we trust what the Bible tells us and go nowhere else. If you're an old hand uh, in church circles, I want to see from this story how easy it is to be like Saul and to go for what you hope will be a reassuring word. So in Saul's case, he wanted to know what to do on the battlefield the next day. That's what he tells Samuel. So that it'll go well with him. In other words, tell me how it'll go better for me on the battlefield tomorrow. As a result of me coming to see you tonight. 
But the real word was actually a humbling word. It told him how much he deserved judgment. Now let me tell you, that is always the mark of an authentic word from God. It tells us how much we deserve judgment. Now I know that that sounds negative, but there is no other message that will keep us glued to the Lord Jesus and his forgiveness and seeing the preciousness of that, apart from realizing where will we be without it. So an authentic word from God will always humble us, will always show us that we're sinners, but it will also always show us how God loves sinners that we can turn to him and get his clear word of forgiveness and fill up our lives with new hope and with God. Now, let me tell you, the shocking truth is that you will hear the voice of Satan not amongst mediums, but actually in churches where people are there to falsely reassure us that life will go well for us on the battlefield tomorrow if only we follow the instructions that we're being given from the front. Success guaranteed after that. Well, the trouble is that people walk off in tomorrow and they find it doesn't quite work like that. What happens after that? They end up without hope and without God in this world. So, uh, if you're an old hand in church circles, we need to be careful of that desire to have the reassuring word, rather the word that challenges us, humbles us, but nonetheless shows us the goodness of God as we acknowledge how much we deserve that judgment from him. And then thirdly, what happens if you are genuinely one of God's people and you want to know what this has to speak to you because life seems to be quite messy. There are lots of different crises going on probably in your world at the moment because life tends to be like that at times. It might be that you're going through one of them. And you might say, well, God doesn't seem to be here in all of this mess for me at this moment. Now, if you look at chapter 29, you will actually see that God isn't even mentioned in chapter 29. He doesn't seem to be there. The ones calling all the shots are the Philistines. They seem to be the powerful players on the pitch. And it's all mess. The enemies are the ones in charge. Well, what happens when you're in the mess and it looks a bit like that? I'd want to suggest that it's in the mess that we need to listen to God's clear word from the Bible that reveals to us that although we can't see God, even though God doesn't seem to be mentioned in chapter 29 in all that mess that you see there, nonetheless, he is the one who at that moment in time, in that particular crisis, is working. For David and working against Saul. Now it's only in the Bible when you look at the mess and see that there is the best God at work in the mess, as he is in chapter 29. Even though he isn't mentioned or clearly pointed out, he's there achieving 
his clear word. Friends, if you're in the mess, that's where we need to go. And you will find that you might be in the mess, but in that mess, you are with hope and you are with God in the world. That's worth remembering. Let's pray that we will, and then we'll take some questions. Let me pray first. Father in heaven, thank you that you speak clearly for anyone to hear and for anyone to understand. Please give us the humility to listen to you so that we might love you and love your purposes in all the mess that we sometimes find in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.